Okay, we're going to be in Mark chapter 13. And remember, we've been studying the chronological life of Jesus. We're still in the last Tuesday of His life. In response to three questions by His disciples, when are these things going to occur, meaning the destruction of Jerusalem? When is your return? And what is the end, when is the end of the age? In, the, in response to those three questions, Jesus gave them very specific answers. But he didn't stop there. After he answered all three of those questions, what he did is he started to speak with them about the rapture, which we covered last week. And now he goes into five parables. He, he gives five parables, and, and, uh, which are going to stress these points. Alertness, readiness, and laboring. Alertness or watchfulness. Readiness and laboring. He's going to speak about these three points. And in these five parables, here's what he's contrasting. He is contrasting the believer to the unbeliever. The believer, those who have accepted his Messiahship, to those who haven't. Those who have accepted him as Lord and Savior in the ways that we would communicate that today, versus those who have not. That is the contrast here. And it's really important because this is not a contrast between Israel and the church. It's not a contrast between, between uh, one denomination and another denomination, between those who say they're spirit-filled and those who say that others are not spirit-filled. It's not that contrast at all. It is between believer and unbeliever. And that's the only way you can look at it to be theologically correct. And we'll see why that's the case. So the contrast is those who are doing the right and the good things are the believer. Those who are not are the unbelievers. So we're going to pick it up in verse, uh, if we start in, in Mark chapter 13, and I'm just going to recap verse 32. But of that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. So what he's speaking about, he was speaking about, he just finished up speaking about the rapture. And now in verse 33 of, of, uh, of Mark chapter 13. Take heed, keep on the alert, for you do not know when the appointed time will come. Now he gives a parable. It is like a man who went on a journey, who upon leaving his house and putting his slaves in charge, assigning to each one his task, also commanded the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. So, then he goes on, Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening or in the midnight, or when the rooster crows or in the morning, in case he should come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, be on the alert. Four times in the passage that I just read, he said, be on the alert. You think he's trying to tell us something here? We are to be on the alert. He says it can happen at any time. And he uses a lot of his parables. He speaks about masters and slaves. And we say, what, what's Jesus always talking about masters and slaves? That's where they lived. Remember, this is under the Roman Empire and there were slaves all over. So it was something they could relate to. If you were speaking today, he might use a little bit different relation. But in that day, it made total sense to them. Then he goes on to, to another parable. So this is where it ends in Mark. And we're going we're to look at... at uh, Matthew chapter 24, Matthew chapter 24, and, and uh, so, so the rest of, of, of uh, the Olivet Discourse 
is only talked about in Matthew. We've already discussed what's talked about in Luke and in Mark. Now we pick it up in Matthew. And uh, um, we're going to read from verse 45. So he now gives another parable. The second parable is the, the, the parable of the master of the house. In, uh, actually in verse 43. Verse 43. But be sure of this, Matthew 24, 43, that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. So he's speaking again of his, his, where he's going to take away his church in the rapture. He's telling us to be on the alert. Verse 45, he starts another parable. The parable of the faithful versus the evil servant. Verse 45. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give them food at the proper time? So think of what, what he's saying here. He says there is... There, there is a, a master who has taken his servant or his slaves and put them in charge to give food to his household at the proper time. This parable now is speaking not just about alertness, but about laboring. What we are supposed to be doing as believers as we wait for him to come for us. We are to be laboring. Who then is this faithful servant who is now dishing out food to others? We have an obligation to give of ourselves for others, and we're going to see that repeated throughout this context. He said, verse 46, Blessed is the slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. Think of what he just said. You commit to serving others, there will be a day that he will put you in charge of all things. I mean, it's huge, huge, the promise that comes. Jesus said this. He's telling us the truth. You serve Him through serving others, and He will put you in charge of many things in the future. If you don't want to believe this, again, just tear this page out of your Bible and just keep there the ones you want to believe. Jesus said this. He says uh, in verse in verse 47, truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that evil slave says in his heart, my master's not coming for a long time and begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with drunkards, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour which he does not know and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is why I say this is not contrasting one type of believer to another. This is contracting the believer, contrasting the believer to the unbeliever. This is what it is a contrast of, because he would never say this of the unbeliever, putting them in a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, which is the place that it speaks about the, 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 uh, uh, the coming lake of fire and the suffering. The believer will not go there. The believer, once you accept Jesus Christ, you're not going there. You're not going to go there. Now, you may not be put in, in charge of many possessions if you're not laboring, but you're not going there. The contrast here is to the person who doesn't know the Lord. That's exactly where they're going. Jesus says it repeatedly. This is where the unbeliever is going. They're, they're, it says that, 
He will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's not a very good picture, is it? That's the fate that awaits the unbeliever. How do I know? Because Jesus said it. That's the fate that awaits the unbeliever. So if you hear this word, week after week, you hear this word about Jesus, and you say, I will not accept, I will not accept, or some other time I'll accept, just remember, He's going to come in an hour that you don't know. None of us knows if we will be here next week. None of us knows this. And I urge you to take this word seriously. Because Jesus is speaking as seriously and as vividly as He can because He knows what the end holds. Now, now, so, so He's covered now three parables. And now turn over to Matthew chapter 25. Now He has two longer parables which underscore the same points of watchfulness, alertness, watchfulness or alertness, readiness, and laboring for Him. In the Jewish context, what would happen is there would be a betrothal. In other words, parents would make an agreement with another set of parents that my son will marry your daughter and they'd agree to this, which happened at least one year in advance, sometimes many years in advance of the actual wedding. But then when the groom was, was finally of age and it was time, the groom would come <coughs> to that, that, that woman's house and it was the job of her virgin uh, um, friends to watch out for the groom and alert her when the groom is coming. And uh, uh, they were to be on the alert. So he says to them, he gives them this parable in Matthew chapter 25, verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be compared to ten virgins. So what did he say? He says, the kingdom of heaven will be compared to this. This is what it's going to be like. The kingdom of heaven will be compared to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five of them were prudent. For when the foolish ones took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the prudent took oil in the flasks along with their lamps. Now while the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. But at midnight there was a shout, Behold the bridegroom, come out, come out to meet him. They all, then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the prudent, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the prudent answered, No, there will not be enough for us and for you too. Go instead to the dealers and buy some yourselves. And while they were going away to make their purchase, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast, and the door was shut. Later on, the virgins came, saying, Lord, Lord, open up for us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Be on the alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. So this is what he says. And so he says, I don't know you. So in other words, it is not between one type of believer and another. This is between the believer and the unbeliever. He will say to the unbeliever, I don't know you. When we accept Jesus in our hearts, we say, Lord, come in. There is a place of fellowship with Him. He knows us. If you haven't done this, this is what He will say. He says, I don't know you. I don't know you. And this is what it will be like. Now he gives the fifth parable, and we're going to focus for the rest of the time on this parable. Verse 14 of Matthew, chapter 25. Again, underscoring the same point about now, just above it was alertness, now it's laboring. For it is just like a man. What is just like a man? The kingdom of heaven 
what it's going to be like. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To the one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. Each one according to his own ability. And he went on a journey. Immediately, the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. But the one who had received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me? See, I've gained five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And also the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I've gained two more talents. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you gathered no seed. And I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master said to him, You wicked, lazy slave. You knew that I reaped where I did not sow and gathered where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank, and upon my arrival I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, go take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more shall be given. And he who has will have an abundance. For from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness, into the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The worthless slave is the unbeliever. And so it says that that this master is going on on a long journey. So he's going to go on a long journey. And then he's and before he goes on this journey, he goes up to his slaves. To one of his slaves, he gives five talents or five pieces of gold. To another, two. And to another one. And, and, uh, uh, and it says in verse 15, And he gave to each one according to his own ability. You know, God knows you. God knows your abilities. And he will give you according to your abilities. He gave to each one his own, according to his own abilities. He called his slaves. He entrusted in verse 14 his possessions to them. He entrusts things to us. If you're an unbeliever, He has still entrusted things to you. He's given you a good mind. He's given you a good heart. He's given you life. He's given you air to breathe. He's entrusted you with things. Each one according to his own ability. And He went on a journey. It says in verse 16, Immediately, the one who received the five talents went out and traded with them and gained five more talents. How long did He wait? Immediately. Immediately. This idea that I can wait to serve the Lord is not from Scripture. Wherever we are, we are to serve the Lord. This thought that, well, when I get done with college, then I'll serve the Lord. doesn't happen that way. Wherever we are, we are expected to serve. Wherever we are. Well, when I get done with college. Okay, well, when I get done with my postdoc. Okay, well... When I, when, uh, uh, now I'm a professor, but once I get tenure, then I'll start laboring for the Lord, because then I'll have all sorts of time. Yeah, tenured professors have all sorts of time on their hands. And then, and then, uh, uh, then you get tenure. Well, I, I can't speak up now because, uh, because everybody knows me and I haven't spoken up before. Well, w- when I become a full professor, and before you know it, you're going to retire. 
and you'll have never labored for the Lord. There is something that he calls us to. It's immediately the one who had received the five talents went out and traded with them and gained five more talents. He didn't lose. You go and serve the Lord. You won't lose out. You won't lose out. The Lord will make it effective. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. But the one who had received one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. He did nothing with what God had given him. Nothing with his master had given him. Now, verse 19. Now, after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. He's going to call us to account. He calls us to account, to settle accounts with them. The one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I've gained five more talents. Look at the spirit behind this whole thing. It says, the one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I've gained five more. Look at the excitement. It's so much excitement is there. It's like when I speak to my granddaughter. I mean, there's just so much excitement. Papa, da 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 da. Really? I, I get excited with her. I share with her in this excitement. She's excited about something. I get excited with her. And, and uh, uh, they were excited about this. They say, Master, look what I did. This is the joy of serving the Lord. This is the joy of taking what He has given us and using it for Him. He says, I've gained five talents more. His Master said, Great job. Well done. Good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Look what happens. Laboring for the Lord, giving of yourself for others, results in great reward in this life. Look, he had five, he got five talents more. And in the life to come, there is great reward. And he says, enter into the joy of your master. You want to be happy in life? You serve. You want to be happy in life? You serve. Those who serve God are happy. Have you ever heard of Mother Teresa going to the psychiatrist and laying on her couch, on the psychiatrist's couch and saying, when is somebody going to do something for me? When's it my time? I'm always helping other people. When's it my time? No, who goes there and says that? It's people who do nothing for anybody else. This is the pattern we have. You pour yourself out for others, you'd think you'd be empty, but you're full. This is What life testifies to us. Does not life itself testify this to us? That those who give of themselves for others are full of the joy of the Lord. You sit home and watch TV and you will become miserable. Because TV is, all those shows are written by people who who, who question their own sexuality, who question their own relationships with, with other people, with their own relationships with their parents. And you'll be like them. But you go out and you serve the Lord and you will be like Him. His joy will fill you. He says, enter into the joy of your Master. Jesus said, I share my joy with you. You want to share this with me? Yes. You pour yourself out for others. You do with what I've given you. You will have joy. You don't, you'll be miserable. Verse 22, and also the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I've gained two more talents. 
His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. The joy was there. He didn't say, Oh man, I only got two and I only... You know, if you'd have given me five, I'd have gotten... He was happy with what he had. He was happy with what he was doing. He wasn't comparing himself to the other guy. Lord, you gave me this, these talents. I can't play anything with music. I can't. Jim Tour can't. I can't do any music. But I'm happy for you who can. You know, sometimes I wish I had that gift, but, you know, there's only so many hours in a day. For those who you, uh, of you who, uh, you know, grew up in homes where they, you know, you had a mother over, hanging over you, making sure you learned how to play the piano. This is great. I mean, use that gift for the Lord. But he was focused in on the gifts that he had. And his joy said, come on in, I'm going to put you in charge a lot. You get the same joy. Enter into the joy of your master. I mean, there's just joy in giving. Now look at the last one. He says in verse 24, And the one who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. Look at this man's image of his master. Master, I knew you to be a hard man. He viewed the master as a hard man, not as one whom he could participate with him and just run up to like a daddy and just say, you know, here it is. If you view God as being mean and just pounding on people, this is the, the context in which you're going to experience it. God is gracious. He is gracious. If your father was not good father and not faithful, God's not like that. He's a faithful and kind and gracious father. He has so much force. If you view him as being hard, this is the way you're going to see the whole context of life. He says, I knew you to be hard men, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. Well, if, if you knew that God, that this master, could reap where he hadn't sown and gather where he had no seed, at least put it in a bank because it's going to make money. That's what his master says. You knew this, that I had all this capability. You put my money in the bank and it's going to start reaping something because the master is not going to lose out. But he says in verse 25, and I was afraid. Look at what the, the view here. I was afraid. This is how he imagines his master. I was afraid because you are a hard man. When I come before the Lord, I love it. I love coming before the Lord and spending time with Him because I know He really looks out for me. Sometimes I, I just walk around and I think, God, You are so good to me. Sometimes I wonder, do You have time to bless anybody else? I mean, just I know His hand of blessing is so rich upon me. This is the image that I have of God, that He looks upon me as being special. Each of my children can view me as being special for them. You know, if you're sick, if you're, say you're sick, if you call me, I will send Shireen with food to take care of you. You know, if you're not too far away. You know, say, Shireen, we've got to get some food and, and, and uh, go, go you know, to the university. Let's bring them some food. But if you're, you know, if you're in Dallas, I'll say, you know, God bless you and I'll pray for you, but I'm not bringing you any food. Why? Because you're not my child. I have a daughter in Israel. If she's sick, I'm getting on a plane and going to Israel. Why? Because that's my daughter. God has something special for His children. When you view God as having a particularly 
sharp eye, a particularly keen eye for you and for your needs. This is what you will experience. The way you view Him is the way you will experience Him. And he said, he said to him, he said, and I was afraid in verse 25, and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. Look at the contempt. See, you have what's yours. There you go. It's been a long time since I've been away. You know, inflation has made that one talent not worth that much anymore. And you're just giving that back to me. You see the this disdain for this master. See, you have what's yours. I mean, the master was gracious in giving him a gift. And his reply is, see, you have what's yours. I mean, it's as if you give a gift to somebody and they just, I don't want that. And they just throw it back at you. After sitting on it for 40 years. So you buy them a TV and now you're giving them back a 40-year-old TV. You know, the big, long, big ones that, that was all fuzzy. That's what you're giving them back. That's the disdain that this man has. And his master said to him, you wicked, lazy slave. This is the unbeliever. This is the contrast between the believer and the unbeliever. You wicked, lazy slave. You knew that I reap where I did not sow and gathered where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank. And on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. Look, look at, there's something revealed here. The guy who was given five talents, who gave him those five talents? The master. He got five talents more. <clears throat> he came to bring it to the master. Who ended up? with the five plus the extra five? The servant. The master says, you got it all. You got ten. Not only do you, you don't have to give me back my five, usually what would happen is, if somebody invests in you five talents, you go out and you trade it, you get five talents more, that investor gets the five back plus two of what you gained. So the man should only have three. But he has all ten. That's the graciousness of our Master. Don't you see his graciousness? He is so different than the world. You know, one guy said, you know, you know I, a guy once said to me, I don't worship God, I just worship Satan. I'm like, why would you want to worship Satan? Of all people, Satan. Worship a chair, worship a rock, but not Satan. He's really mean. Our God is so good. Keep it all. Then he takes it from this guy. He gives it to the guy who has ten. This is what I... When, when I see young people and I share with them all that God's doing and they walk away without faith of what God can do in their lives, as they walk away, I say, Lord, the blessing they could have had that they don't want, don't let it go to waste. I'll take it. Just, just pour it on me. I'll take it. I have faith for the blessing. If they don't want it, why let it go to waste? This is the teaching of Scripture. Put it on someone else. This master, you'd think he'd take the, the, you know, the talent back and put it in his pocket. No. He says, let me give it to one of the kids I really love. That's what he did. And then he says, look down in, in, in verse uh, 30. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness in the place where there would be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's why we see it is indeed the unbeliever. 
Let's turn to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. This is a different incident. In Luke chapter 19, there's a different incident, but it is, it is a very similar parable. In Luke chapter 19, Jesus gave a very similar parable earlier on in his ministry. And we're going to pick it up from verse 20 because we already know the context. Verse 20, Luke chapter 19, verse 20. And another came saying, Master, here is your mina, or your talent, which I put away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you are an exacting man and you take up what you did not lay down and you reap what you did not sow. Now Luke chapter 19, verse 22. And he said to him, By your own words I will judge you, you worthless slave. Did you know that I am an exacting man? taking up what I did not lay down and reaping what I did not sow, then why did you not put my money in, in the bank and having come, I would have collected it with interest. So he says, I'm going to judge you exactly the way you see me. You think I'm a hard man exacting things? That's how you're going to be judged. That's the testimony of Scripture. You may say, well, you know, God, that's not very nice. Let me tell you something. We're not in a place to talk about niceness to God. Trust me, he's nicer than all of us put together. Much nicer. You might have a nanosecond, or I might have a nanosecond of niceness. He's always kind and generous. But this is the testimony of Scripture. Let's look at Psalm, Psalms, the book of Psalms. So right about in the middle of your Bible, you'll find the book of Psalms. And we're going to turn to Psalm chapter 18. Psalm chapter 18. Psalm chapter 18, we're going to read from verse 25. Psalm 18, verse 25. This is what the psalmist says about the Lord. With the kind, you show yourself kind. With the blameless, you show yourself blameless. Psalm 18, verse 26. With the pure, you show yourself pure. With the crooked, you show yourself astute or somewhat reserved. The way, it says, with the kind, you show yourself kind. You be kind to others. You be gracious. You give something of yourself. I know you're busy because students are the busiest people in the world. Nobody is busier than a student. In the midst of that, you set aside an hour or two every week where you are serving others. That could be teaching a Bible study. It's not attending it's something where you're giving out. That could be doing a good work for somebody. That could be going and, and we had a guy in the class, amazing guy. This guy, he, he would go, he asked me, who are old people in the church that can't take care of their lawns by themselves? And he would go and take care of their lawns. He was an undergraduate, just like many of you. Now he's just, just uh, finishing medical school now. And, and, uh, but this is what he would do. There are things that you can do to serve. Serve. If you can't find a thing, you let me know. We have many ways you can serve in this church. We've got Upward Basketball coming up where you can, you, you can work with little kids and, and, and uh, be a coach. And there's not much you know how to do. They'll put you with like five-year-olds. And so, trust me, even if you don't know how to bounce a ball well, you're better than they are at it. And you just teach them, you throw that ball in the net, and then you give them at halftime, you give them a little scripture message. There is something that you can do to serve. It says, with the kind, you show yourself kind. 
you show these acts of kindness, you will receive kindness from the Lord. And remember, it's not just a little bit. What's the principle of sowing and reaping? You give a little bit, you get much back. You plant a, a kernel of corn, you get 10,000 kernels from that. Overflowing, spilling out in your lap. With the blameless, you show yourself blameless. With the pure, you show yourself pure. With the crooked, you show yourself astute. If we don't serve, there is great loss. The comparison that God has given us in these parables is the comparison of the believer to the unbeliever. So his assumption, therefore, is that believers will be alert, will be ready, and will be serving. That's the assumption in all of this. Now, the theological... The theological component of of this is believer versus unbeliever. The application is huge. Scripture has one specific prophecy of interpretation, but it has millions of applications. We can apply this to our own lives in serving. The specific prophecy concerning this is what's going to happen to the unbeliever. But to the believer, look at this and say, I need to be about serving. To the unbeliever here, I urge you, accept the Lord. Don't go hearing this word each week without accepting God. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Lord, forgive me of my sins and come into my life. And great things will happen. You will see God as a father of great kindness who will say, come on into the joy of of your master. Just come on into the joy of my house and he will bring you joy. In the midst of life's struggles, which don't always go away, there is joy. Let's pray. Abba, Father, I thank You so much for Your Word. And I pray, Lord, for those here that don't know You. Father, open up their hearts and draw them to You. And even right now, may they say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins and come into my life so that they can be transformed from darkness to light and enter into the joy of their Master. Father, I pray that You open up their hearts and You draw them to You. And Lord, for the believers here, I pray, Lord, that You would cause them to be alert and to be ready and to be laboring on Your behalf. Father, that they would experience the kindness of God as they extend acts of kindness. That they would experience Your life in their lives. Father, I pray for these young people that they would get in the pattern of serving others, of being about Your work, so that they would see the richness that comes in giving to others. Father, do this great work in their lives. And Lord, I pray that You bring the confirmation of truth, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, whatever is needed into their lives to draw them closer. For Your glory. In the name of Jesus, Amen.